This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Today on Behind the Headlines, we finish our reporting on the tragic ending to the Faster Horses Festival. On today's episode, Gus Burns and Danielle Selzberg will be joining us to talk about the reporting they did and what they discovered during the investigation. So let's get into it. As I said, our guests today, Gus Burns and Daniel Selzberg, talking about the reporting they're doing on the Faster Horses Festival. You can get a link to the article in the show notes. And without further ado, my co-host, Vice President of Content, John Heiner. Good morning and thank you, Eric. Appreciate that introduction. Um, Here on Behind the Headlines, every week we talk about some aspect of journalism. Sometimes it's a little bit in the weeds or how we do our jobs, um, why we do our jobs. But about, I'd say three, four times a year, we single out a particular piece of journalism that we're very proud of or that we think makes a difference. And and we're going to do that today. Roughly a month ago, we had on Sarah Scott, an editor, and Gus Burns, a reporter, to talk about some investigative work that we were doing on a festival that's held every year at Michigan International Speedway near Jackson that's called Faster Horses. And that podcast, we really talked about the nuts and bolts of trying to get the information and the obstacles we were encountering and and how journalists dig to get that kind of information so we can bring insight to people. Well, today we're going to talk about the results of that work. And and I have to say, it's it's really, uh, Eric, uh, you know, it's sobering, it's it's sad, and it's angering. Uh, some outrageous things that we found investigating this festival. Um, so back today is report, reporter Gus Burns. Welcome this morning. Thank you for having me. And one of the co-authors of the piece, Danielle Salisbury. Good morning, Danielle. Good morning. Thank you. So people may have a familiarity with Faster Horses. Some listeners probably undoubtedly have gone there since it attracts about 40,000 people a year. So first, why don't we give just a bit of background for listeners who may not be fully familiar with what Faster Horses is, how long it's been around, and, and the appeal that it has for people who come to it. I mean, it started in 2013 um, at Michigan International Speedway, um, which you know has primarily been known for NASCAR, I would say. But NASCAR's, I mean, there's only one race there a year, so I think the track was looking for ways to diversify so they started um, this festival. The first year they did it actually was before 2013. They tried a one-day festival, but it didn't work out so well. So they debuted this three-day festival in 2013, and um, they brought they brought in some big name acts. I mean, pretty much I think every country music star you can think of has been there. Luke um, Luke Bryan, Tim McGraw, Carrie Underwood, Jason Aldean, um, and it just it it grew quickly, massively. I mean, it's a huge festival now. Like you said, 40,000 people. And they camp there all weekend on these grounds. I mean, MIS has 1,400 acres. So there's plenty of space to pack in campers and, and they get real rowdy out there. Right. And Gus, you know, for the sake of our listeners, um, and I should say, today we published the, the, the fruits of all the work that's gone into this all year long, all summer long. Um, but 
already people who are listening to Danielle's description might think country music, 40,000 people locked in for three days. And, and I think I should point out, you can't buy a one day ticket. Uh, no, you, no. <laughs> you come in and you're, you, I think uh, one of the organizers said back in 2013, and he likes a captive audience. And so they, they kind of have it there, but uh, the crux of the reporting that we did and what we found, Gus, was what really, why were you asking for police reports? Why don't you set the stage for that? Well, I mean, I think, first of all, it was this year, there were four deaths. There were um, the three unfortunate deaths of some young men who died of carbon monoxide poisoning. And then there was also another woman who died. Uh, it was determined later of accidental causes. And so just with the number of deaths and other reports that have come up over the years, um, there was a past a, a gang rape situation, a possible gang rape that was reported. And there was a situation where someone uh, assaulted someone in the showers that all made it to the news. But we wanted to see, you know, get a thorough picture of everything that's gone on there since it started in 2013. So we requested, we focused on some of the more serious crimes on uh, assaults. Uh, anything that was reported as an assault, a uh, CSC or a sex offense of some sort, and then deaths. So we FOIA'd all those reports, and then we spent a good number of weeks going through those. A lot of them didn't have, uh, you know, it was, there, there's so many police agencies involved. There's four main police agencies, so we had to get records from each one of those agencies. And they don't all uh, give you the same amount of information. Like some, you would see a witness name or a victim name. Other ones were all redacted. And then I, I'd give a huge credit to Danielle. I mean, she was out on the road for weeks, um, every day, going across the state, trying to reach uh, victims of sexual assault. And it was a, a hard endeavor, but uh, she ended up reaching enough people that were willing to speak publicly about it. Yeah, I'm going to cut right to the headline, Danielle, before we get into the very, very difficult um, job that we're reporters like you do having a report on trauma that's happened to people. But the headline of the story that we published today is, quote, a sexual predator's paradise. Invest investigation of Faster Horses Music Festival uncovers 30 reported sexual assaults. And I hate to say tip of the iceberg, but I think the key word there is reported. Um, so you, like I said, you know, Gus was out there pulling police reports. We had Taylor DeSormo, another reporter who, who participated in this, Scott Levin, who's our data specialist and others. But Danielle, you, you went, you kind of waded right into the worst parts of these stories. So why don't you talk a little bit about, I think the, the heart of the story as you read it, that keeps kind of punching you in the gut is, um, for lack of a better word, very inebriated, you know, concert goers who are basically being victimized and, you know, the system for whatever the system is, you want to call it, whether it's the management of the festival, the police, the security, uh, the follow-up, you know, uh, investigations, prosecutions uh, of which there were none um, that I know of. Um, why don't you talk a little bit about as this unfolded, the story you saw coming together? Well, I think when we looked at the, and I came into the project a little bit later, Gus did all the front leg work, um, getting, putting out the FOIA requests and things. But um, I think it was pretty evident when we started looking through these reports that the most alarming incidences were, incidents were these, these sexual assault cases. And I mean, Right, most of them involved alcohol, 
um, all the victims were women. And um, I think it was shocking to me, to me as a woman, especially just because I could see myself in those same situations. You know, I went to college and I've been to concerts and I've had too much to drink. Um, you know, the reputation journalists have probably holds based on, <laughs> based on my experience all been there, with, right? with journalists. Um, but I mean, I could see myself in those kind of situations. I mean, it's horrifying to think about waking up without your clothes on and not remembering how you got there in an, un- and you're in an unfamiliar place and you're lost and there are 40,000 people. And I just think that's horrified. <laughs> I mean, I find that to be the worst possible scenario. Well, I got to say that the anecdotes, we, we didn't pull any punches in this reporting. Uh, we consciously decided um, that what happened to these victims um, and, you know, yes, drinking too much is not good. Getting separated from your friends, obviously, is not good. And also you're talking about demographic where you got a lot of people in their, their 20s who are uh, overserved. And it's like a college campus, but worse because there's very little supervision. Um, it, it, you know, very little police presence. Uh, I, there's some, there's just so much in your story that is shocking to me, but I'll give you two ends of the spectrum. One, a woman who wakes up with no memory of anything and she finds a condom inside her body. Um, and, you know, I understand police don't have a lot to work with there if you don't remember anything, but that is shocking. But just as shocking to me is 40,000 people, four days, if you count Thursday night when they come early. Um, and last year, how many minors in possession tickets were written by police on the festival grounds? That would be a, a whopping zero. <laughs> I, so, Unbelievable. I mean, it's, it's, it's unfathomable, right? And, you know, another detail is you in the story talk about the medical center or tent that they set up that is described as a war zone. And, you, you know, have for the reporters who've been out there before, they, they describe uh, scenes and the security guards that you've talked to describe scenes that would be like a college party gone awry for four days. I think like if you do go to a, a college tailgate, say Michigan State or, you know, any of the co- big college university tailgates, you'll see some of this behavior on the front end. But I think what makes us a little bit different is you're going four days. I mean, by day three of tailgating, you know, things kind of devolve and people aren't thinking the same way after drinking for three days straight. And it does sound like in many cases, this is pretty much a non-stop binge drinking for a lot of people. Right. And let's just get into some of the atmospherics, Danielle, that you describe, or that all of you describe. Like, if you're walking through the grounds, if you've never been there, what, is it, what does it look like? What does it sound like? I mean, I think at the center of it, you're getting kind of like a, almost like a fair atmosphere. I mean, there's like a big concert area, and they've got different side things going on, like attractions, like there's a soap party where you can go to a dance bar and there's soap and stuff like that. But then um, from what we've, from people we've talked to, I mean, in pictures, like from photographers in years past, I mean, there's things that are a little alarming as far as, I guess, how women might feel walking through those grounds. I mean, there's a, a place called Titty City, which is actually like a, a theme camp that has evolved over the years. It's kind of like a party spot where they've, they've painted signs and things. I mean, this is a here to stay type thing. It like probably started off as a joke and, 
has evolved into this place where there's a dance floor, bar, DJ, and these are all in the infield, which is where kind of where the epicenter of the partying is. Um, and then, I mean, from talking to, I've, I've spoken to beer vendors who have talked about seeing people with stripper poles, you know, um, a lot of things like, a lot of like sexuality things going on. Um, and it's, and he's talked about, you know, he's he's got beers he's trying to sell in the concert area, women coming up and say, you know, offering to flash him for beers. There's men out there uh, encouraging women to flash for different reasons, whether it be beer, beads, things like that. Kind of like a Mardi Gras type feel, I think, is what I've heard from people. It sounds a little like when the sun goes down, um, things become somewhat dangerous, especially for women, especially for women or or intoxicated or and women get separated from their friends. It seemed to be a common theme, Danielle. Yes, for sure. And I think um, also there were a couple different women I talked to who said, I realize now the people I was with weren't people I could trust. Or, you know, I went with acquaintances or I went with friends that I didn't know too well. Um, Certainly there are some 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 trend. Well, I don't know if you want to say that, but certainly there are some similarities between the situations. Yes. So why don't you talk, Danielle, a little bit about or in Gus, too. But, you know, it's one thing to look in there and say there have been, you know, no convictions of anybody for the 30 or so reported sexual assaults. Um, and I know there were some investigations that went pretty deep into the investigation, but I, I believe reading it that nobody's ever been convicted of any crime related to sexual assaults there. But why don't you talk about the difficulty from the police perspective of what they run into when they're trying to investigate these cases? I mean, I will note that there are two, there were two cases where somebody was, there was a, a young man cited for obscene conduct who's caught urinating in the presence of others. And there was a man, there was a man charged he was initially charged with, um, I believe, um, criminal sexual conduct initially, but he pleaded guilty to, um, indecent, what was the charge? Indecent yes. Right yes. <laughs> Thank you yeah. for, for entering the women's showers is what yeah. you've done. Yeah. But there, there, there are no convictions on any of the sexual assaults. No, not on the assaults. Um, I think, I mean, as somebody who's covered a lot of crime in my career, I don't, I wasn't necessarily surprised to learn that there were few, so few arrests and no convictions. Um, as a, the case and from, and Gus talked to more law enforcement types than I did, but um, the cases are just hard to prosecute. Um, and I talked to one uh, professor from Wayne State um, she was just talking about how, I mean, the criminal, the criminal courts are, are designed to, um, pen, to penalize people for crimes. And, you know, the standard for conviction is really high. And a lot of times it's just difficult for police to determine what the truth is, especially when the victim doesn't have a complete memory of what happened. And that doesn't mean that it didn't happen. Certainly it doesn't mean that didn't ha- it didn't happen, but it makes it hard to prosecute. Mm-hmm. And also, I mean, I think, I think it's hard. I think women tend to be, de- I think it's, 
I think in these sorts of situations where you have women who are drinking, I think our society views those women in a particular way. And it is less likely that when they come forward that they will be believed. So I, mean, I, I think I think there are a lot of social factors that play into that, but I, I think in general, women blame themselves. Women don't wanna come forward. They don't wanna participate. They don't wanna be ashamed, embarrassed. They don't wanna answer all the questions about why they were there or why they were drinking or why they were flirting with so-and-so. You know, it's it's hard in a, on a lot of- they had sex with in the, who, Or who they had sex with in the previous five days. And, there's a, and some of that makes sense if, from a technical standpoint, if investigation standpoint, if they're doing rape kits and things. But I just noticed there's a lot of questions about their sexual activity aside from the sexual activity that's part of the, you know, the, the sexual assault report. And yeah, I'm going to go out on a limb eight years times 40,000, you know, 320,000 people flowing through there. And I, you know, 90%, I think the story says this 99.5% of people are there to have a good time. People can have, have a few drinks and not commit a crime, but I'm saying if 30 people, 30 women came forward, you know, I really got to think how many incidents have there been where people were intimidated, embarrassed or whatever, and didn't come forward. I don't, I don't want to make suppositions, you know, journalists aren't supposed to assume, but I think in general society, there's a lot of sexual assaults that happen that never get reported. So uh, I, I'm thinking you may be seeing the tip of the iceberg here. Um, and so, um, you know, again, not, not trying to, to make suppositions, but I do know in the ones that did come forward, it's clouded too by what they can remember. Um, they can't remember a name. They don't, they don't know who the person is. So I understand some of that handcuffs the police. Um, but overall, the, it, it seems reading it, and you, you guys can tell me otherwise, but that there's not an overwhelming police or security presence that's like stifling the crowd goers there. I mean, I get the feeling that there's a good, I mean, a good number of police and security. I mean, we're, I think I heard an estimate of like 400 security guards are hired and they don't give us exact numbers usually from the police agencies, but there are state police, town, Cambridge Township, Columbia Township, and Lenaway County, Jackson County. There's a lot of police agencies involved in this. And I mean, we, we kind of got mixed messages. I mean, um, there were some people who said, yeah, there's not enough security. And I've heard from others, I heard there's security. It just, just you can't stop at all type, type response from a lot of people. Um, right. And the other thing is people have campers. They have tents. Um, like I said, at night after the concert ends and people, you know, pair up and go back to places, a cop can't go into the trailer. So uh, I understand there's some there's things that cannot be prevented. And that's what I got from one of the prosecutors I spoke to. It was that. You know, sexual assaults usually don't happen with witnesses, and especially when you add then intoxication, that's a whole new factor as far as witnesses remembering details. And then if it's a situation where it, it requires consent and someone was too intoxicated to give legal consent, then I was told that the perpetrator, that they have to be able to prove that the perpetrator knew that the victim was intoxicated to the point that they couldn't consent. And then like when you get two intoxicated people together, prosecutors say that that is very difficult sometimes. You're listening to Behind the Headlines, an Live podcast. I'm John Heiner, your co-host here with Eric Culcran. And today we're talking about, 
a, a splendid piece of journalism that MLive published today, but again, very sobering about the Faster Horses Music Festival in Jackson, um, a big country music festival. It's held every summer. And the reporting efforts by our team at MLive who looked into assaults, um, um, deaths, sexual assaults, particularly that have occurred there over the years and the climate and culture of that festival itself. And the guests today are Gus Burns and Danielle Salisbury, who are reporters who on their MLive's public interest team, who are among uh, several reporters and, and other journalists who worked on this project. Danielle, one of the things that you did in this assignment was to go out, find the victims, um, sit down and talk to them, not just finding them, but getting them to talk, getting them to open up. How do you do that as a journalist? And, and how, how does that make you feel as a woman? Um, it's really hard. I, I struggled with that a lot with this project. Um, and I've talked to a lot of victims throughout my career. Um, I think sexual assault is specifically hard because it's so personal and so intimate. And you're talking about a crime that's especially difficult to, to detail, I think. Um, I mean, I, a lot of the names were redacted from the police reports. So in a lot of cases, we didn't know the names. We did find some names. Um, and I just, you know, you reach out through social media, you try to find phone numbers and addresses. And I don't think people were jumping to talk to me. <laughs> I don't think it's something that a lot of women are going to volunteer to detail that experience. That, that experience. Um, and I drove across the state. I, I, I was in Detroit and up in Flint area and, um, Muskegon. And I just, I just knock on doors and hope, and hope that, that people will talk to me. I, I mean, I try to, I mean, I sympathize and I, like I said, I mean, I can totally see myself in these situations and I don't know what the. I just know, I mean, I think any woman really could be in a situation like that. And I just try to have empathy um, and I try to let them direct the conversation. I mean, I ask questions. I'm a reporter, I ask a lot of questions, but um, I try not to push and I try to be sympathetic to their circumstances. So, I mean, it's hard because at one point you, I mean, you wanna to talk to them and you want to, to, to get, the details because the details are what make the story powerful and and really i mean if you're thinking about making change i mean i think i think that's important to have those stories but it's but it's hard too because you're asking somebody to relay a real personal experience and i think you just have to be kind and gentle and empathetic right what it was what was you mentioned the word powerful. What was really powerful was the woman who died. And uh, was it her mother or sister you were speaking to? Um, the woman who, who overdrank and, and, and they said she died of complications of obesity. Do you remember that family, that interview? Yes. Was, was that her mo mother or sister? 
That's her sister. Right. Her sister. One thing that struck me about that interview was the sister saying, look, she went there to drink and have fun. Right. She wanted to meet guys. She wanted to drink. I, you know, that it's what she wanted to do, but she didn't deserve to die. Um, she didn't deserve to die that way and be left alone and, and that sort of thing. And those, those anecdotes, those words from people affected are extremely compelling. And, you know, I give you a lot of credit for, for getting people to trust you and open up in that manner. But those kind of stories humanize the victims. And, and I think it make, make it more relatable for the readers. For sure. It's a lot. I mean, if you say seven women were victims of criminal sexual conduct at faster horses, it's like, oh, that's terrible. But then when you start talking about these women and like hearing their actual, I mean, the, the effects of their trauma and, and the, the way that they dealt with that, I mean, that's, that's a whole different level of understanding, I think. Right. So I think one of the things when people read this and, and today it's getting read a lot already, um, I think, I think this is going to have some impact. Um, but one of the questions that comes right to my mind when reading it is what is somebody going to do about this? And the people who, you know, MIS, the live nation who puts on the concerts, just right up to the performers who perform there. And I'm not saying anybody sanctions this kind of behavior, but it's happening. And, and as the story shows, there's a pattern of it from your interviews with people, Gus and Danielle, you know, what do you think? happens next or what's the future or what changes are possible what solutions are out there i feel like it, to some extent it is at the top i mean the festival is promoting no sleep just party um type atmosphere and party of the summer right and you're not uh, i don't i don't know i mean this, these, these theme camps have evolved over time. I mean, did anyone ever go up to them and say, hey, do you think this is appropriate? Do you think this is making people past your camp feel comfortable? And, I, and, I, and like, I, I've talked to people, we're working on a story kind of comparing it to the other biggest festival in Michigan, which is Electric Forest. And I've kind of presented some of these scenarios to them. People have gone to that festival and they're saying none of this would ever fly there. I mean, people, this is a different type of culture at different festivals. And I think, it kind of is to some extent a culture problem. Maybe it's a drinking a drinking problem that promotes it or, or whatever it is, but there's really not someone holding people accountable when you're having these, you know, objectifying theme camps and everyone's cool with it. So. I mean, I think, um, I think, I think the authorities have to take these seriously. I mean, I think when you look at the reports, I think there are varying levels of, um, intensity or, or investigation when it comes to these cases. I think the authorities have to take them seriously. I mean, I think, I think every witness or every victim deserves that at the very minimum. Um, I mean, I, lots of people, there were some people we interviewed who, are, who don't think that we think it's a little excessive. I mean, you can get there at 9 a.m. on Thursday um, and stay until I think noon or mid morning on Monday. I mean, that's a lot of drinking and that's a lot of partying. And is it necessary to have that, to be, to have the, those, that, that amount of people in those 
packed into those campgrounds partying for four, par, par, partially five days. It's right. just, there's some of that criticism. Yeah, well, one of the anecdotes in there is the, one of the scenes you see there is people getting up in the morning and racing out of the campground to go back and restock at the store. That's Gus. There. And Gus you know, wrote that part. You know, let's touch on that. It's This is a huge boost for the economy of that area. Uh, you know, the Northern Lenawee County, Southern Jackson County, Brooklyn, those little communities. Um, a lot of money flowing in there. And, you know, festivals are happen without, you know, deaths and assaults. And I think when we're talking about things that can be done, it doesn't mean you have to cancel the festival. Although, you know, I did hear via the reporting of this, that there was a European festival that was canceled after some sexual assaults and, and they just, you know, said, we're not having that anymore. Um, but it, it seems like I've been to events where there's really aggressive um, uh, wristbanding uh, of people. Uh, there's signs that say they won't serve people who are clearly intoxicated. Um, you know, you, you can't police every individual's personal behavior at night. The other thing they might want to consider is selling one day tickets. So people can come see an act that they like and not have to spend the night. I, I mean, to say that it just has to go on the way it's going on, I think is, is, you know, disingenuous and untrue. I mean, there are things that can be done and I'll be watching with interest with the impact of this story, government leaders, police leaders, you know, MIS, Live Nation, the artists themselves. Um, what, what are you hoping to see as journalists? I mean, one thing journalists love is to do work that's impactful. So what would you like to see come from this, Danielle? And then Gus, you can answer. I mean, I would certainly like the, I mean, Live Nation, neither Live Nation nor MIS really acknowledged these assaults. Um, and I, I mean, I would like to, I would like them to do that at least. I, I mean, I think, I think certainly a story like this should bring about some change. I mean, if you were going to read I don't know how you read the story and read about these accounts and not make a change. That just seems irresponsible to me. Like as a as a as somebody who puts together these concerts and Live Nation, I mean they've had problems before. Like, and we've we like we Gus mentioned earlier the gang rape. I mean we t we reported that in 2014, and it apparently didn't get their attention. So hopefully this story where we detail all of these cases does get their attention. I mean, I talked to one expert, um, she studied sexual violence. She said that, you know, if you have a proven record of, if you're having an event and there's a proven history of sexual assaults, I mean, you have an obligation to, I mean, provide advocates who can be on site, who can help out these women victims. Um, I mean, and there, there are people who say that the victim, the, the festival should be shut down altogether. A woman who lost her daughter in a vehicle crash out there said, how are you still having a festival after, I mean, in this past year, four people died, six people have died. How are you still having this festival and six people died? And I don't, I'm not trying to lead, I'm not trying to, it was never my intention. I don't think it was any of our intentions to, to torpedo the festival. <laughs> I mean, I just think it's important to acknowledge these things. And it is a big moneymaker. I mean, you can't deny that that's gotta be a consideration for those putting this on because I mean, minimum, at minimum, I think Gus, right? Tickets are $215. Yeah, 
in that realm. I, I can't really say for sure. Yeah, it said yeah, the top so. price. The top price if you get the VIP stuff is like six hundred some dollars a ticket for all four days. Beers are ten or twelve bucks. Stuff like plus that. camping, right? Plus camping. Yeah, Gus, your thoughts on that? Um, well, I was surprised. I mean, not really surprised, but um, pretty much everyone we've talked to, local officials, police, business owners. No one has been very negative or critical of this event. I mean, they all seem to say it's generally a positive thing for the community. Um, in some cases, I might you might think that they downplayed some of it, um, didn't acknowledge like some of the behavior that does go on there, and just said, "Oh, it's a lot of drinking. You got to expect some of that's going to happen." Um, and I, I think that, like for your idea of, of day passes, I think that changes the atmosphere in the sense that you'll have older people coming, you'll have people with families coming. It'll kind of merge this party 20-something culture with, you know, some more responsible people and people that don't want to act that way around children. So I think that would kind of tame things a little bit. Um, and But really, I think the real, and obviously the police have to take things more seriously. They have to really investigate. We have sexual assault reports that are on a complaint slip with less than 10 words, you know, and we followed up and found that there's a lot more to it than what the 10 words that the police got. And then, but really what's really going to change the festival is going to be, it's going to have to be grassroots from the fans and people holding each other accountable. And some That's of that can true. come from organizers. Some of that can come from artists who say, listen, we're not going to play here if you guys don't do something to curb this problem. But really it's going to come from the fans. Like, they have to hold each other accountable when they see people doing things that are inappropriate. There is, everybody knows Willie Nelson saying, mama, don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys. There's a quote in the story from a mother that says, basically, mothers, don't let your daughters go to faster horses uh, once you know, you know. And so I think, to your point, there's a lot of people that this story is going to wake up and point people to um, really an egregious problem that needs a solution. So my hat is off to you, uh, Gus, Danielle, uh, Taylor DeSormo couldn't be with us today, uh, the, Scott Levin and the others, the photographer, Scott Park. Everyone who's worked on this, this is actually a story that has taken um, eight years to tell and to collect and, and to really do justice to, but you did. And uh, for the sake of our, our readers and listeners here in Michigan and for M Live, I want to say thank you for that and encourage our listeners to read it. You'll see links uh, in the story note or the podcast notes and in a column I'll write this week about it. So Gus, Danielle, thank you for your great work and thank you for joining us on Behind the Headlines today. Thank you, John. And there they go. A huge thanks to Gus and Danielle for joining us today. As always, if you like what John and I are doing, like, subscribe, and share wherever you get your podcasts. Until next week, he is John Heiner. I am Eric Halkrin, and this is Behind the Headlines.